Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode 70 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. My name is Scroobius Pip. You can find me at Scroobius Pip Yo on Twitter and Instagram and all over the place or facebook.com slash Scroobius Pip. And I am joined today by the one and only Mr. Richard Herring, um, a legend of stand-up, of podcasting, of the Edinburgh Fringe of Festival, of sketch comedy. Um, and I'm going to keep this intro brief because we, we rambled on. It was a beautiful... Um, we recorded it before I do his his uh, Richard Heron live at the Leicester Square Theatre um, podcast, um, and we had a good old chat. We really uh, went into it. It was nice. I listened to his podcast and I, I love it. But he's the interviewer, so it was nice to really get into to him and get a bit more of his his thoughts and stories and views and opinions. So I should mention Speech Development Records. That's my record label. Go to speechdevelopmentrecords.com. You can buy jumpers. Hood, um, you can't buy hoodies you can buy your own hoodie and wear a jumper underneath it um, you can buy t-shirts cds my dvd and my book great christmas presents are right there i've got a two disc dvd of my edinburgh fringe show and i've got my graphic novel um of poems so check them out at speechvillerecords.com i'm gonna go on now and let you listen to episode 70 of the distraction pieces podcast with richard herring And we're rolling. Cool. There we go. I'm joined by comedy and podcasting a legend, Mr. Richard Herring. How are you? I'm wrong, not too bad. How are you? I'm good. good. I'm good. This is exciting because we're doing a bit of a um, a, a crossover. Yeah. So I'm actually recording this before. I'm on your podcast, yep. but I think it's going out after. I, I don't know. It won't go out for quite a while, the one oh, right. we're doing. Oh, that's good cause, then. Cause that's I'm, fine. I'm recording two a week and putting out one a week, so it's probably in the new year. That oh, that's perfect then. Then yeah. mine, then I get to be the exclusive yeah. and get out first. <laughs> so, you know, it's good. In, in, in that case, it's in the correct order. Okay. And we will it be is. discussing things now, yeah. and then we'll see how it all goes at the weekend. <laughs> then we'll just talk about the same things again at the weekend. Yeah, we'll just go over time them. I, I did your podcast once before at the Edinburgh Fringe, That's right, yeah. I've always felt I wasn't very good on it. So I'm glad to get a second chance. I, I think felt you were good on it. I felt I the know. fringe. Is, I felt I was a bit bogged down by the fringe and a bit yeah. not quite there or sharp. I, yeah, I feel I'm excited to have a second. Oh, good. Second well, run I can't remember to be honest because exactly. those Edinburgh ones felt very unmemorable. I did. Well, no, I did. <laughs> I did two interviews a day. I think for some of them, yeah. one interview a day, but it was every day and doing my own show. Yeah. So I often can't remember. I, mean, I was sure I'd interviewed uh, Phil Jupiter on, on one of those. Yeah. And like to the point that I could remember it, but I I hadn't done. Uh, I just talked to him. I was going to say that's because at some point in one evening, (laughs) Phil will have talked very loudly at you, (laughs) intently, and it would have felt like it was a performance and a recorded thing. But that's but often even with the less fair ones, because I've done ninety, there'll be a hundred by the end of the series. Wow, hundred interviews. And sometimes I think, oh, I should get such and such on, and then I look through and go, oh no, he's been on. We've already. had that, yeah. <laughs> so is it is it is it's planned as a hundred, and then you're you're ending it there? Is that no, the, it's no? going to carry on forever. It's just it just so on. happens it's a hundred at the end of the series. It was going to be hundred and one, oh, wow. but then I interviewed myself as a as a because <laughs> I kickstarted this the video because we'd filmed the yeah yeah yeah. So I did a Kickstarter, and one of the Kickstarter prizes was for me to interview myself. Yeah, which I'd planned to do in my attic in my where my office is as a. You know, because I thought it would be quite embarrassing. Yeah. But then we hadn't got another guest, and I thought actually maybe it'd be better to do it in front of an audience, and yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. people will come and see it. 
but they didn't not not, not <laughs> didn't sell that many extra tickets. I'm not that much of a draw in my own thing. Uh, and uh, so I did it in front of an audience, which was quite embarrassing. But yeah, I think, just talking to yourself. Yeah, for think, ages. Yeah, for an hour. So yeah, it was, but it passed very quickly. I, but you see, I, I, with all of them, I I'm concentrating so hard, listening and talking. That I yeah. often can't re- when it comes to writing up what happened in it. I can't remember I've, anything. I've anything I've recently happened. as as we're recording this t- t- today. I've just put out the live podcast I did at, at the Leicester Square Theatre. Right. Just completely copying you here. I thought I'll do it there. That's where that, that's where Richard does it. That's fine. Place it. Um, and I, ha- I, was, I was doing a post. and I was going to because the first half I was interviewing a fan, and the second half I had just just people come up and ask questions. Yeah, and I wanted to do a an answer question such as. And my mind was so fried from that event. I was like, I had to write, I honestly don't know what questions I answered, <laughs> but I remember it was a good night and yeah. everyone seemed to enjoy themselves. Well, that's so. it. I, I can remember that. I can remember the ones where I feel don't go so well yeah. from, my own, from my own point of view, usually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's very hard. Even the day, next day, very hard to remember anything or, you know, think, oh, there were some big laughs there and then they can't remember what they were. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, but uh, I think it, that's it. Because you it is really difficult to ch- talk to people, especially when you do two... And actually, this series, I'm a bit constricted by the fact they've booked me in at four o'clock and there's usually shows on at seven, seven, yeah. fifteen. So I've got to get out. Yeah, you're, it's but, such uh, a, you're having to try and be engaging, but also keep an eye on the time, yeah, keep an eye which on getting an, through. Which is annoying me because I really like the ones that can go, you know, if yeah. you're having a nice time with someone and even if you're not, even if it's kind of dipping a bit, to push it on and go on for another half an hour can often be the, yeah. the way you get the, the gold to come out of it. Yeah, completely. So, uh, so it's slightly annoying, but they've been largely, we did, uh, you know, we've had some, had a, had a good few. So I, I, I definitely think particularly with an audience, it can take a minute to get them extra relaxed or out yeah. of performance mode, which performance yeah. mode is good because you still want it to be entertaining. But I think some of the ones of your podcast I've enjoyed the most and that have got the most acclaim have been it when it really feels like it's two people having quite a private conversation yeah. in, in at points and that yeah. kind of, and I think once you get into it, once it's a, longer that, that yeah. it's much easier for the guest to forget that it's real yeah. going out and that actually other people are listening so they they do tend to open up at about the 75 minute mark which is when i have to stop and really basically yeah. on, on these ones uh, i find that it kind of even if they've been really funny there's a little lull and it gets a bit gentler and then yeah and then something interesting yeah or boring out. but then that's still interesting yes yeah. yeah completely um <laughs> you've obviously embraced in 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 this in this section of your career in the section of your career that is available I feel you've really embraced and made the most of, of social media and the internet. So things like the Kickstarter yeah. a project to do a filmed um, episode, is that something that you're just into or was it an active business decision of right? With, with, without, if I'm not getting huge budgets for advertising, whether I need yeah. to have this, this instant contact. Um, I, I don't think I've really ever planned anything. It sort of worked out quite well. I mean, I, I, I would be a very clever businessman if I'd yeah, worked yeah. out this would work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> but it sort of does work, I think, because I, I initially got into podcasting because I was I'd done a show with Andrew Collins and uh, on his six. I'm just going for yeah. half now and talk to him yeah, about the papers, yeah, yeah. and then that got cancelled, and we'd enjoyed that. And about a year passed, and then he said to me, "Oh, look, I did a. I think it was the the Word podcast podcast yeah. or something like." And he said, "It's really easy. You just have a computer and." We just need to find someone who can load it up for us. Yeah. Uh, so when we realised how easy it was to do it, we thought, well, let's do it for fun because we'd enjoyed it. And then I think maybe at the back of our minds, we thought maybe if we're really funny on it, um, Six Music might yeah, hear yeah. it and say, oh, come back and do another show. Or, or, or the Aaron and, and Collins one, was it was really at that time when Six Music, it felt like they were at the forefront of podcasting, yeah. as, as weird as it was, because yeah. they'd done the Adam and Joe ones and they'd had the... Th- 
Dad had so many good ones. That yeah. was a perfect kind of yeah a birth into it, I guess. I suppose. But then we were so rude. We it became very quickly very rude, <laughs> uh, like ridiculously rude. So I don't know if that was you know that was what I didn't. That was obviously not a deliberate decision because I think that would have put people off. We did eventually get our own six music show. Anyway, yeah. we did replace uh, Adam and Joe for a year or so. So it sort yeah. of that did work. But after about three years, but it was more about just having fun. And yeah. then I realised. Well, you know, I, I realised I had lots of ideas and I was, I was finding it difficult to get them on TV and radio. Yeah. I was still getting some of them on TV and radio, but it was a slog and people were changing it. And and then that Saxgate thing happened and people were being very cautious when you're on the radio or TV about yeah, of course. how rude you were allowed to be. And so I realised the freedom we had um, making it ourselves. I realised I could do anything I wanted and get it out there pretty quickly as long as I, you know, if, if it wasn't difficult to edit. Which, that's why we don't edit. I never edited it because it's just yeah. cheaper. Uh, I'm exactly the same. It's been seen as such a stylistic choice, and these these bold, unedited conversations. It's like it's just easier that way. It's yeah, easier well, you know, than... then it's the time. Then it's the time it takes more or less, plus an hour or so either end. Yeah. Uh, so you can get much more done. I think it's more interesting to include everything anyway. So the yeah. the hits and the flops are there together for you to judge whether the thing's good yeah, or not. Um, and so you know, I I I really liked it in itself, and I've kind of realised it's an end in itself, but it's had these repercussions. And I was touring. I've, I've been sort of touring for about seven years on my own when I started doing podcasts and I've been sort of ticking along selling 50 to 100 tickets most places yeah. I went you know scraping a, a living making it was worthwhile doing but only just and then when I started doing the podcasts of course if you're going into people's homes every week and they're choosing and they like it when you come when you say oh and I'm in Bristol this week then yeah. If they're in Bristol, they're probably going to go, oh, well, A, I owe him a bit because he's given me all this ass of entertainment. B, I like him, so let's go and see him. So it was a way to advertise yeah, what you were doing. completely. And that's exactly what I was going to say. The, 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 the fact that podcasts are in general free is, it really does engage people in, in that way because yeah. it's something that, that I enjoy doing and I'm, I'd imagine that you enjoy doing, yeah. but it gives you that, as you said, that access into their, into their, their living rooms, that yeah. regular free thing. So when you've got something, you have to say, could you pay for this? Yeah. They're kind of like, well, yeah, yeah, that's that's fair, that's fine. Yeah, so I've done eight years of podcasts, and I've and I've it's really amazing. wanted to keep. I'm nearly everything I've done has been completely free. Occasionally, I would have like a bit of extra content for a tiny bit more money or whatever. Yeah. Or occasionally, I'd ask people. We asked people to pay for the videos of the yeah. of the rehearsal stuff to to begin with. But yeah, it's. It, I think by making it free, and then you'd have to be kind of idiot to every now and again not go. Oh well, I'll, I'll give him a pound. Yeah, you know, for this or so. So then we started doing badges for a pound, just as a joke, really, because that was an old Lee, uh, Collins and Herring thing. Yeah, and uh, we should have made it more than a pound, but but you know, a lot, quite a lot of people give us a pound for <laughs> yeah, a badge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I had the idea of having a monthly pound badge, which gives you access to a few more little bits and pieces. Oh, wicked! Uh, so th- th- those ways bring in a little bit of income, and then obviously the Kickstarter is a more recent thing. Yeah. Um. So, so but again, did, people. How feel- did that go? And, and what kind of prizes? Well, uh, so well, like this one, last one was one of them was this DVD of me interviewing myself, but also the first one I did um, because I was going on about my tiny hands that are like Hermione's, (laughs) the same hands uh, size as Hermione's hands. So I drew around my hands six hundred times, brilliant, and sent people six hundred people one of those uh, badges, (laughs) mugs, and things like that. Which, which you know, because there are actually a limited run. We'll do two hundred mugs, and that's it. Oh, and then I do handmade. See, I'm a very bad artist, but I draw brilliant, uh, awful T-shirts that are kind of still sort of engaging in their childlike naivety. Yeah. Uh, so that's a complete one-off T-shirt that, you know, we, I think this yeah. time we're doing a print of one of them so people oh. can can get... There'll be more than one copy of it. Most of them are a completely individual yeah, complete work of art. One. I remember Not a very good work of art. T- 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 touring with a guy called 
a B. Dolan and he'd sold out of his little mixtape. Right. And we were midway through the tour and he's over from America so he can't get more. So he bought a load of CDRs, right. hand-drew all the cases, ended up charging more for them because yeah. he's like, well, these are exclusive hand-drawn. Yeah. I was like, mate, it's because you've run out and you're just <laughs> trying to make more money. And they sold far better than everything but else because it's like, well, yeah, I guess so. I You've think got with to- all these things, I sort of feel like... <laughs> It's not. Um, I'd like to give people back more than they've paid in a way. Yeah. And I feel that, regardless, I think those t-shirts, at some point, you know, unless I become, you know, I'm less famous. If I become more famous, they'll be worth a lot of money. But I think even so, because they're one-off to a yeah. fan. I've got enough Completely. fans that they someone could sell that on for more than they paid. So I kind of like that idea that I'm giving back something that's worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, even if it is a drawing around my own hand, which, you know, again, I've put a few of these things on eBay and they'll sell for 20, 30, 50, yeah. 100 pounds. So, so it's, uh, that's another way of bringing in money. So it, obviously I'd like to get more adventurous with it. I feel like I wish it had come, uh, the internet had come sort of 10 or 15 years earlier in a way, but yeah, damn um, right. for me, just cause I don't, I think, I don't know how long I can carry on at this level. Of, of hard work yeah. but, uh, but you know it's sort of I'd love to get to the point where I'm making TV quality sketch shows sitcoms you know films even yeah. from so I think if if you, the more I could encourage people to and that's the annoying thing you know, if everyone who listened to my podcast gave me a pound a year I could make a sitcom if everyone gave me ten pounds a year I could make movies yeah, that's so a great you know, point, so and when you think about what you're getting in return for that, and so I, 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 it's a matter of the audience trusting me. And at the moment, I don't take any money myself out of any of this money. Yeah. So all the money goes back into into Producing making more, more stuff. stuff. Yeah. So I'll make some money on the door of the Les Square Theatre if we sell enough tickets to make that worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and again, I think it pays off. I think my next tour feels like it's. I've done you know, a few gigs, but it feels like I'm selling more tickets. So again, yeah. if, as long as people keep coming see me live, then that's that's enough in itself. So people can choose. There's a lot of different ways people can choose yeah. to pay me back, or just if you. And I, but I want to keep it free for the people who genuinely can't. And then similarly, like with my live gigs, if someone emails me and says I can't afford to come and see it, I'll say, look, I'll put you on the door. Yeah, you know, which I can do. I mean, you're going to get all the all the emails. They can do it, me. but honestly, <laughs> if you honestly can't afford to come and see it, then email me. And if there's tickets, yeah. and I've, oh, you know, I get six tickets for every gig for, for free. I can give That's out if those if they're still there or if there are any tickets left and I haven't sold it. I'd rather people came. If you want to lie and tell, you can afford it and you want free tickets, then you, that's up to you. So I, I just, fuck you, you know, on your head, be it. But, so, but I just think it's up to. <laughs> but then that's up to if you're listening to it and you're listening to all this stuff and go, like, I don't want to give you anything, and I'm not going to tell anyone else about yeah, it. Yeah. That's fine. That's your. <laughs> that's choice. fine. That's your choice. But I, you know, I, I, I think most people after eight. That's what I mean. After eight years, yeah, I felt that I could say. Hey, you know, if you want, and with the video, yeah, it was great. it was really very much like if you want more of this stuff, if you want it videoed, we can video it if you pay for it. Yeah, but I can't afford to pay fifty thousand pounds a, yeah. a a series out of my own money. Yeah, like, I'm doing okay, but I can't afford to do. Yeah, that. that's not going to happen. So, but if you know, if we all chip in a tiny amount, then it, then we can do it. And yeah, if you don't I love want it, that. if you don't want it, we won't do it. We'll carry on doing the audio for free. So that's lovely that people want to get involved. Um, I've sort of done a joke one. I do a, a podcast where I play myself at snooker in my basement and commentate yep. on it. Yeah, uh, and I did and I did a joke Kickstarter that I kind of hoped might take off and not be a joke. <laughs> where I was trying to raise a million pounds to build a a, spe- a specific venue for that to be performed. Amazing <laughs> and film it and cameras <laughs> and cameramen, uh, which is up to it's not over yet and it could still happen. Yeah. It's up to fifty thousand pounds. That's still but, quite in, insane. But a lot of people have done that knowing that their knowing money it will never make it and it will never <laughs> complete. So, I guess and so. you could just withdraw your money. But it's but that's but <laughs> but the, it's sort of a you know I sort of see that um, the snooker thing as a as much a, an artwork as a 
as a, as a comedy show, thing or yeah. as a sports it's sports really it's not comedy yeah uh, and it's art <laughs> and so that that's part I, I feel the kickstarter's part of that artistic statement and it is meant to make you think about the value of money because it's quite fun to be able to go i'm going to put five thousand pounds into this yeah knowing my five thousand pounds is definitely safe but it may gives but what's funny is a couple of people who put five thousand pounds in have then had their credit cards declined and had the fraud squad onto them <laughs> even though the money hasn't been taken out of their account but it's because it's, it's obviously it gets, gets, it gets sent and so there's someone genuinely you know it's really inconvenienced a couple of people and someone had a call from the fraud squad and presumably then had to go well, it's all right. I'm just trying to fund this guy who wants yeah. a million pounds to play himself at snooker, he's, he's but not, he'll never do it. He's not really going to do it. It's not a real investment. That's the most so, no, I love it when, explain. you know, so it's sort of playing with the value of money. And I think when you do something like that, it sort of makes money seem ridiculous. But then also, you know, I might make a million pounds and then I'll have a million pounds. Yeah. Which sweet. would be amazing. You can, can knock a venue up for a, for, 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 for a few grand. Um, you spoke there of, 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 of how it'd be nice if the internet had, had come along earlier and the kind of, the years in between of, of being on a high and then struggling at points, it makes it all the more impressive that you've consistently produced a new a new show each yeah. year. And it's been and it's something that always it took me ages to realise with a comedians because with bands and musicians you can tour and add a add a new song yeah. or two, keep doing the hits for years and years. <laughs> yeah. But for so many comedians, it's Partly Edinburgh-based and partly tour-based, but it's a new show each year. Yeah. And you've done that, is it t- 12 years in well, a row? Well, I've done, done 12 different shows in 12 yeah. years, though two of them I'd done, two of them I did twice. So I did, right. I did uh, Christ on the Bike in 2001 and Talking Cock in 2002, then I had a year off, and then since 2004 I've done a new show every year, yeah, but yeah. one of them's been Talking Cock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christ on the Bike. So I've basically written, yeah, I've written 10 shows in the last uh, yeah. 12 years, and I've done... Uh, but I've toured twice. You know, when I did them, I toured them again. Yeah. So I've toured every year since 2001. Yeah. With, uh, and, yeah, and it's just... But again, it's the hard... I think it's understanding that it's hard work. It's very competitive, um, uh, my my business. Yeah. Uh, and it's increasingly getting more competitive. And, like, a yeah. lot of people are complaining about this, that it's very difficult to tour, because it's like you have to be either be on... T- TV or known already or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to get from that stage where you're in clubs to touring. But when we were on TV and when I did stuff with Stuart, we didn't really, when we toured, not hardly anyone came to see us. I think yeah. we were maybe too young yeah. or just, you know, we weren't as popular as at the time as people seemed to remember us being, but or maybe the people who loved liked us loved us enough and have stayed with us, yeah, but yeah, we yeah, weren't, yeah. we didn't break through that ceiling. So we toured largely to quite big theatres with hardly anyone in them. So when I came, you know, it was like a year after the TV had finished, I was started touring on my own. <clears throat> and, yeah, I was really struggling to get people to come and see me. And mm. it, Because it's difficult because people, some, to someone say, you know, 15, 10, 15 quid even, um, for their evening, it's their evening, it's their time. The older you get, the more you understand. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you've got family, go, this is a, you know, an evening out is a big deal. Yeah, completely. You're going I to... I said, n- not only the money side of it, yeah. the, right, I yeah. need to have a clear evening. and Yeah, so, you know... You, you really got to work hard to get those people in. Mm. So I've done that by just relentlessly touring and hoping that the people who liked it, the 30 people who liked it, or toward, or 20 or 30 people would have liked yeah. it, and those 20 people will bring another person, so next year it'll be 40 people. Yeah. And it does, you know, it has worked very slowly, and the podcast did make a, a noticeable difference where my audience sort of doubled uh, yeah. pretty much into the next tour. But that's still small numbers. Have, is, have you seen the kind of the touring... Um, Roots mirroring uh, the fringe because I felt that the first time I got to go to the fringe, it felt like you had such a a loyal 
following up there. Yeah. It felt like the, you, you, everyone knew, or there was a, a, a good portion that knew that if you're at the fringe, which you are every year, except for this last one. Was, yeah, was, yeah. Last so, but in general, they know that they will, on their list is, right, we're going to the fringe, obviously we're going to see Richard, and then, you know, f- figuring everyone else around it. Have you had similar on the touring schedules? Well, is it you have certain places that you know every time you go there? Yeah, I guess. I mean, no, but even Edinburgh, it took me quite a long time to build up that audience. I mean, I was getting smallish crowds, even Lee and Harry were getting sometimes bigger crowds when we were on the telly, but not massively so. We were known, yeah. and I was always known in Edinburgh, but like it took me a while to get those solo shows really up and running, and it certainly took me, you know, it was 2005, 2006 before I even got to a point where I was not losing money up there. Yeah. And then I still lost a lot of money the other year, so because I, I was overambitious. But um, so it, I was still building that audience. It was, you know, it's a weird thing. I mean, because like within, with, I think within the industry, people considered me to be well known and a success. Yeah. But I think like the public, I was a you know very acquired taste that most yeah. people didn't even know about. And it wasn't like they knew me and didn't like me. They just didn't know who I was. So in Edinburgh, it was a bit more like if I go to Edinburgh, it feels a bit more like I'm famous. If I'm walking down the street, people yeah. will know who I am. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. mostly anywhere else, it isn't. But yeah, there are towns that I've managed to that have embraced me more than others. Brighton always liked us. Cardiff always liked us before, even, you know, that, that, that we did well there. Bristol I always do well in. Um, Nottingham and places like this. Odd and Sunderland, odd, odd places. Yeah. But, yeah, that the, the, they seem to... But I think often it's about whether the theatre itself is is geared up well and has a good mailing it's into list. into it, and, they're going to be putting it out well um, and getting the, yeah, the but word yeah, it's out just, there. It's just, but, you know, but it's like anything, it's building up and if you keep on going and, and the stuff you're doing is good. I recently did, instead of going to Edinburgh I, this year, I, I did all of my one-man shows at the Leicester Square Theatre. Yeah. And going back and doing How them, was that? It was really interesting. I mean, it was difficult, but somehow, and I don't quite understand how I did it. I was going to say, what was your a method? I assume you've got, some kind of, of recordings yeah. or of, of each and so, so was it a case of watching and going over and relearning? They're all or? on DVD, but I got the audios taken off all the DVDs and just listened to them yeah. like, when I was going about my business and driving places. Cr- cracking up. And <laughs> Tears crazy. of laughter. Well, oh, you know, classic. It's, it's sort of weird because like, I'd listen to them and I'd go, oh, God, this is terrible the first time. I just would be quite dismissive at the first time. Yeah. And then I'd do them a bit. And then, and then actually by the time I performed at the end of the week... I would kind of have a respect for them that I didn't expect, actually. And nearly, and I'm pretty proud of all of them. They're good shows. Yeah. And I think a lot of those shows have passed by without anyone really, you know, without many people knowing about them. So. It's, it's, it's one of the things that's always freaked me out, exactly that, with The Fringe. And exactly as you, as you were saying, with the level of comedian and respect within the scene versus nationwide or worldwide yeah. recognition, is it blows my mind that the year I was at The Fringe, I went to see so many amazing shows... But they were all comedians who aren't big enough for that to be turned into a DVD. Yeah. So these amazing shows have just existed for that year. Yeah. And now they don't exist yeah. at all. Well, that's anyway, what and that's, that's heartbreaking to yeah. me. Well, that's that and everyone's I guess you are used to it and it's accepted. But that was killing me. Just thinking like, wow, <laughs> I want to show all my friends this, but yeah. I literally can't show my friends this because it's it's gone now. Yeah. It's over. Well, weirdly, I suppose that was another offshoot of the internet and and was that none of my shows were big enough to be put on yeah. DVD. And, you know, a couple of them went by and weren't put on DVD. Like, obviously, Christ on a Bike and Talking Cock, that's part of the reason I did them again, to put them yeah. on DVD. But it was getting in touch with... Go Faster Stripe was this uh, brilliant sort of Cardiff-based, you know, guy. He's just a comedy fan, Chris Evans, yeah. not that one. Yeah. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, he's just into comedy enough. He saw Stuart and said, Stuart Lee, one year, and said, Who's, when's the DVD coming out? And Stu said, oh, we're not doing a DVD of this one. And he was so upset that he said, well, look, I've got some friends who can do this and a place we can do it, let's film it. 
Amazing. Uh, and so and they did it. a great back catalogue. Yeah, of, and then of, since then, but then it's been yeah. I've been able to do all of my shows with them, so all my shows exist, and that's just such a relief at the yeah. end of it. It's just you sort of think it doesn't, it just means it doesn't go... And it yeah. is, you know, and they would be, I'd forgotten them, so they would in, be forgotten. It, in, I, in a weird way, it makes it, as I said, it makes it feel, it it did, it definitely happened. Yeah. It definitely did happen. Just, it's not just a weird memory. Something. You know, it's not, I mean, yeah. they're still better live, and I still prefer the touring, and it's great to have an evening where you, you know, that's what it's all about, it's the room, and it's never quite the same. And you'll never capture that on DVD, but it's just so good. So, yeah, having the DVDs was great. It meant I could do the shows again, which I wouldn't, because I have no record of most of them. Yeah, of course. Um, and apart from that, and um, there's so much sort of improvisation, even if I did have a script. I was going to say, particularly so as they, I'd imagine along the tour, they yeah. always develop and tighten yeah. and, and tweak. So even if you had some kind of initial notes, it's like, that's not what the show no, ended exactly. up being. And I would never remember, you know, I'd, it was... I mean, I don't know how I managed to relearn them. I don't know how it got in there, but it sort of nearly got in there. And what schedule was it in? Like, was well, it I was every doing two two a week? So I was doing Friday week. and Saturday. So I was doing, you know, nuts. so yeah. And I thought it would get easier as it got closer, but it didn't really. And then even, <laughs> I mean, the only one that was easy was the one that I'd done on tour, and yeah. even that I had to think about because it was about three months since I'd done it. I was going to say, but even I'd last, imagine you'd, because you'd pushed it out yeah, with all yeah, the other ones. Yeah. So like, this is the one that should be the freshest. And <laughs> but even the year before, I thought, oh, we're all going to die, it'll be fine, because that was quite recently. And then, wow, it's hard. You'd listen and go, this is just so complicated. And, you know, the, because you yeah. do build it up over the tour. So it's, it was... It was really difficult, and you know, I was running on adrenaline. I'm not didn't do them perfectly, and the way I'd like to go back and take each show and give them another, especially the early ones where you know I wasn't as good a performer as I am now. I yeah. think, and so it was enjoyable to go back. But yeah, I found yeah. a couple of routines. You go, oh, this is a I've forgotten this routine. Yeah. This is a great routine. So I started putting some of them back into my set, you know, which livens this up a bit as well as writing some new stuff. Yeah. Um, so it was a really good thing to do, but 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 also I thought you know these are these are great shows. They're, you know, I'm really proud of them, and but most people would never, well, even even though they're on DVD, most people will never ever come across them because you know just because the way the world works is. But yeah, but I, I've, as I've got older, I've kind of come to like the fact that I'm more of a little niche, yeah, the secret thing that yeah that if you discover me, you suddenly go, oh shit, this is impossible to catch up with because there's too much stuff. Yeah, there's, but there's, whole, pl- there's such a there's, back there's plenty of stuff there to you know if you if you suddenly discover me if you like me. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of nicer being. I was talking to David Mitchell on the last podcast I recorded, and yeah. you know, the, his he's had, we both recently had uh, daughters, and uh, you know, but he's yeah. there's things on the D- Daily Mail with him wheeling his pram around and right. with his wife, and you know, them just looking bleary eyed and tired, and you kind of think that's the bad side of fame, isn't it? Yeah. There's someone papping you as you're just that's a new story yeah, 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 that David yeah, Mitchell horrible. and his wife have gone out with a baby to have a cup of coffee. Yeah. And so you think, God, I'm so glad I don't have to bother with any of that. I'm glad I can walk around the streets, you know, most of the time without and if I get someone who comes up to me, they'll go, Hey, you're that guy, I love your podcast or yeah. hey, I'm listening to your podcast now, which I love when that's that always a weird one. Yeah. I'm listening to you. Okay, I don't know how to react to that. <laughs> Um, so uh, you know, so that's I've I realised how lucky I am, and I'm and I've been lucky enough to uh, be in a position where I'm economic, you know, making enough money to carry on working yeah. and and, and it creating interesting stuff. But there's on, on the other hand, there's no one going, oh, Rich, you know, you better not grow a hit the moustache this year because you know Andrex tissue, toilet tissue won't sponsor you if you do that. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm completely... That's what I love, suppose, love about the podcast is it's the autonomy, which you get as a stand-up. Yeah. You can absolutely do what you want. Do exactly yeah. what and, you want. You know, and you're self-governed and self... And, you know, and yeah. I think you do... You create a community with, with the people who listen. And, you know, and, and, and I love it that they do get involved in whichever ways they, they get involved, you know. And, and, and however that is, I, I sort of appreciate it. But as I say, you know, I sort of think it's... 
it's really nice also to to not be going, oh, we're trying to make money out of this, we're trying to make this into yeah. a business. Um, and I think that's all, but I still think it works as a business model. You know, it's, it feels to yeah. me that we're we're working to, you know, we're slowly working towards getting to a point where we'll we'll accrue enough resources to start making more and having that stuff. control and al- yeah. allowing artists. I've I've always struggled with the term um, underrated or people feeling yeah. that they're underrated because I think there's. For me, I've always felt uh, I'm, I'm just not for everyone, and that's no. and that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. But it feels if you start thinking underrated, it feels almost disrespectful to those that do really rate you. Yeah, that fan base that it's are really true. passionate and really put you on such a pedestal and think you're amazing. You're yeah. like, well, you know, I've never really got the the respect I deserve. It's like, well, no, you've got these people that adore you. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting one when you are it is an industry where you are surrounded by comparisons yeah. and you are, are looking at how everyone else is doing but and looking it, over your shoulder it's sort of adjusting your mindset and you know i think i was i was more ambitious than i am now and or in like i i coveted the things that i thought i wanted but as an older man i sort of look at the people around me who got those things i wanted and yeah. they aren't necessarily very happy about it and you kind of think that was you know that you realize that the goal you were chasing wasn't necessarily yeah. that wasn't uh, wasn't worth having and actually what you've ended up with is is much better. So you know, and and without the internet, yeah, I'd be screwed. I think, but because with the internet, if I can sell two thousand DVDs on the internet, yeah. and there's if, to two thousand people out of the seven billion people on the yeah. planet, then that's worth that's economically that's great, worth yeah. doing. Yeah, uh, and it's so, you selling them yeah, and yeah. then buying directly again. Yeah. I think that makes a, a massive difference from the from the fan base yeah. point of view of how how willing you are to invest in someone. If you're buying directly from them, you're less willing to steal yes. a torrent or whatever else. Well, that's it. You know, we hardly, our stuff hardly ever comes up on YouTube, and if it does, we just say, can you take it down? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Just speaking on, on the internet there, and it, it kind of ties in, in with all of this, I've... Again, you are quite active on Twitter and things like that, and I really enjoyed... I felt you were a very reasoned voice when I was watching... The, the the insane unraveling of of Andrew Lawrence and when yeah. when he'd had his um his rant that was coming across as sexist and racist and hard to tell because I was I'd, I'd seen his stand up a few times and thought still think he's a, a, a great writer yeah, a, you yeah. know a, a very very talented dude but there was instantly this backlash f- from the left obviously just attacking and him then getting over defensive and being more offensive. And again, I didn't agree with what he said, but I thought, I I remember seeing a a tweet from you kind of just saying, look, we've all have points in our career where we feel that we're being ignored for what we're doing and we deserve this or we deserve that and someone else is in our place, but you're going about this the wrong way and you're finding villains in, oh, it has to be a token woman and women aren't funny on talk and all this kind of thing and, and numerous other things. And yeah, I thought that was, again, it was great to see that medium used in quite a reasoned yeah and I mean, calm it was a way. weird thing i mean but i don't you know i don't like any point where people start telling certainly anyone creative what they can and can't do yeah, yeah. and certainly once petitions get into it and you yeah. know i think people are allowed should be and i'm really into freedom of speech and i think people should be allowed to say whatever they want I'm, I'm and a, then if you're if, you, if they're wrong you can go look I, you're wrong about this let yeah. me tell you why and then and have a discussion that. about it. You know? yeah, so I'm, I think I'm people a, should be allowed to say anything. I'm a big believer that the the, the wave of e-petitions yeah. has killed any v- a value of e-petitions. The well, fact that yeah, the fact is. that you that there was huge petitions <laughs> to get Glastonbury to change their headliner shows yeah. a complete misunderstanding of a business. And <laughs> yeah. you can't Glastonbury's as it's its own entity. You yeah. can't tell them who they have to book and not book. It's not it's not the BBC. It's not no. so. It then I feel 
devalues in many ways the power of what was a powerful thing of e-petitions of being able yeah. to petition the BBC or the government or whoever else we're in. And when you can petition Andrew Lawrence to shut up, it's yeah. like, he doesn't but, have to obey that. Or, or when it's petitioned, if we get a thousand names, um, Ian Duncan Smith should live on, on, has to live on a pound a week for a, a year. It's like, yeah. It's no. not how how life works. It doesn't. <laughs> but I think with Andrew Lawrence, I also recognised not exactly myself in it because I'd never say the things he said. But I think yeah. that the feeling behind it, I, yeah. I really sure. understood because you know, you know, you're working hard and you, you know, you're creating something you're proud of, and it feels like oh, why is it? You know, but you have to look at the bigger picture. Yeah. And there's thousands of people trying to create stuff, and inevitably, some of them aren't going to have their stuff acknowledged in the way it sh- if there is any way it should be it yeah. should be acknowledged but it's net you know it's either luck or or bad luck or good luck or you know it's, to start you know it's that it's that inability to look and and think this might be my fault which yeah. a lot of people can't do i think a lot of creative people can't do because a lot of creative people aren't able yeah, to actually yeah. question themselves in that way and I, weirdly a lot of twitter trolls aren't allowed if you try to make them question why they're why they're doing it yeah it fucking makes them minds explode if yeah. you say doesn't this say more about you than it does about me and they go no no it doesn't you're rubbish doesn't. <laughs> i'm not going to think about myself so you know it's easy to it's easy to blame uh, other people in the way your life's going but you have to take control of it and do your best and work as hard as you can and the, you know the thing with andrew it's i mean i completely understand it because I'm, I'm, i've complained about my career at times and yeah. I have a very, I'm at a similar level to him. He's got his own, it's ridiculous. He's saying, oh, you, can, you can't get on, he says, with his own radio shows and his tours. You know, he boasts about how many people come and see him on tour. And, uh, you know, so it's, you ha- there's always someone you can go, oh, I'm not doing as well as them. And, you know, and because I've worked with, you know, the p- first people I work with are Steve Coogan, Chris Morris, I'm Andy Uduchi, Stuart Lee, yeah. you know, or, or Patrick Marber, all these people who've gone to be massively, you know, more, you know, conventionally successful. Right than I have and so it's it, when people go oh you're not doing as well as Stuart or you're not doing as well as Steve Coogan you're going to go yeah I'm not you know I'm not but uh, you have to it's not about who comparing. is doing as well as yeah, Coogan exactly. no, yeah. but, I bet, but Coogan <laughs> will still be looking at whoever and going yeah. you know Sasha Baron Cohen maybe or someone else yeah, and, yeah, or something. he'll want something different and actually a lot of the people you realise they haven't got they're, they're they're kind of pigeonholed in a different way. So yeah. Coogan in, in back in the day, he wouldn't he wouldn't want his Alan Partridge to be what he was known for. You know, he'd like to be taken seriously as yeah. a, a great actor. You know, which he is as well. Yeah, but you know, but he he's he's in, in the end. I think he's embraced the Partridge aspect yeah. of himself and accepted it. So you know, you cannot everybody is looking over their shoulders or are looking upwards and going, it's, why aren't I that? So you've got it's to, such a weird balancing act but, as well, though, because I'll have that of of. I know there's a certain fan base who think I'm hugely famous. Yeah. And again, you'll have that awareness that you're not. But then there will also be someone who goes, so do you do a music and that? And you'll kind of <laughs> want to go, well, yeah, well, I'm quite successful. <laughs> you know, it's that, it's that balance but of, I, I'm not as successful as you think, but I'm definitely, there, there is success here. You should be acknowledging that. No, I like, and I love it when that you know, you'd be, I'm going for 25 years and people go, I'll go and come in and go, oh, is it possible to make a living at that? And you do, so, okay, you're going to go, no, yeah, I'm yeah, doing all right. Okay, right. Because, you know, and I think people, the people who don't like me will be astonished to know how, well, you know, I think they yeah. think I'm, because I'm not on TV, they think I'm in some little gutter somewhere. And, yeah, you know, yeah. But I'm doing, you know, I make very, I'm very lucky. I make a lovely living doing what I want. There's jeopardy in it. I don't know whether you know, I'll make money next year. You know, I lost lots of money last year yeah. but by taking some punts. But, you know, I'm doing fine, which is partly why I can carry on doing the free stuff. 
um and uh, more you know and 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 living a, a lovely life but so it makes me laugh and i enjoy it you know and i like the fact but i'm sure that still also happens to yeah. nearly everyone yeah the, you know completely. even paul mccartney someone will go so what, what do you do for a living yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> someone won't know um I'm, i mean we <laughs> briefly mentioned coogan there and i want to get on to i've never really known that i know you were um you and stuart were involved in the in the creation essentially of, of partridge yeah how how did all that come about and what was the well going the re- going way way back <laughs> the real sort of truth is we we got we'd um we, we'd come to london to do stand up and write and uh, we were working on a show called weekending initially which is was the the show that anyone could write on back then that's not yeah. an anymore sort of topical show uh, and Armando Yanucci produced that for a while, and really, yeah. lots of people didn't like our stuff. And we, only, I didn't really enjoy writing for that show. It was a very formulaic show, and right. we tried to write interesting stuff, and often got rejected. But Armando really liked our stuff. We had known Armando vaguely from university, so we'd met him before, which obviously is not a hindrance. Uh, and then he started. He did this. He was a producer, obviously, and he was doing this course basically where he came up with the idea of a parody news show. And so he asked us to come and work on it. And and so yeah. it, it's very difficult to really, uh, as it became apparent, in fact, and part of the reason it fell apart for us, it was very hard to work out who had created, created what, what or who yeah, was, yeah, you know, yeah. responsible for what. Because there was writers who would come up with scenarios and lines and bits and pieces, and then it would go to the actors who would improvise around that. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think the truth of it is that they were doing lots of different desks, like there was green desk and sports desk. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we wrote quite a lot of material for those. Yeah. One of whom was a sports reporter. So we wrote sort of these weird... Yeah. I think Steve, I mean, Steve seems to remember it slightly differently to me. The the bit I've read from his uh, autobiography about it, and he's saying, you know, we we wrote these quirky lines for him. And I feel that... My Amanda said Steve's come up with this good kind of quirky. That's the way I remember. Right, it. right. But certainly we, you know, we have no massive claim beyond yeah. writing the probably the first things he said. Yeah. We didn't create the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, so um, we we it became a sort of joke because Patrick Marber, who we picked on a lot because for various reasons, <laughs> uh, and I feel a bit guilty about that because I saw him the other day and he's really upset about it, but I thought, oh, he, would no. get, I thought he would get that it was a, a joke at our own expense as much as anything, as well as having a little bit of, I suppose, needle in there, really. Yeah. But um, <laughs> where, where was I going with this? Uh, but uh, I forgot what I was going to say. You just uh, got on the subject of Patrick, bullying Patrick poor Patrick. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but we... I, we, you know, I don't, we didn't. Yeah. I think he said in an interview, "Oh, I expect Lee and Herring are claiming they invented Alan Partridge, yeah. which we'd never done yeah, at that yeah, point." Yeah. So from then on, Stu always, when he was interviewed, claimed that he invented Alan Partridge. <laughs> so I think yeah, it, it sort of came out of that. I don't think either of us really felt we'd invented Alan Partridge, it. but it was not, it was it was amazing to be. You know, that was an, that's our first proper job, really. Yeah. So it's a very high point yeah. to start at. Yeah. Um, but I think again, sort of luckily. I mean, I, the, the, when I met them, I suddenly I was at Steve Coogan's birthday party, which is where uh, I haven't really seen. I saw him when he did my podcast, but I haven't seen much of him over the last few years. Yeah. But uh, so I saw all of them again, and you kind of there was a point where it went to day to day, and then we had a sort of bust up with them. And my manager was saying we couldn't work on it unless they gave right. us percentage of the characters we created, which is I think he was right about. Yeah. But I was I wasn't making. Stu was, had another job and was doing quite well with stand up, and I wasn't making much money. And that we yeah. were getting a thirteen minute TV commission, and I 
pretty much knew this show was going to be. I was thinking this is the new Monty Python. This yeah, is our generation's yeah, yeah, Monty yeah, Python, yeah, yeah. and we're not going to be involved in it. And the other day, I was thinking, I wonder, you know, if I'd made that. If at that point I'd just said. Look, I just I'm wanna... going. I'm going to go and work on this, and yeah. if that means I have to leave my manager, and if that means I don't work with you anymore, Stu, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, that's what. It, and it's like Sliding Doors, my least favourite film. Yeah. But how, you know, <laughs> but how different would my life have? Been? I mean, it would have been very, very different. Yeah. But yeah. not necessarily. I might, I might still be working with them all and yeah. be writing Veep, or I might not be. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, but uh, you know, it's sort of it, it, it. It's an interesting thing to wonder. What, but, but then I, you know, I'm glad we d- I didn't miss out on the. Uh, on doing the double act and having our own TV yeah. show, which again, it, I think, of course. I think if I'd done that, I'd be a writer rather than a performer, probably. So I do want to get to to Fist of Fun and Richard Don't Judy, but what was your kind of c- comedic upbringing then? You grew up in in Somerset, right? And I what did. Was, yeah, I was born in was, Yorkshire. What were you into, in and what uh, were you inspired by? And then what drew you to 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 becoming to trying out comedy? Well, I just loved comedy right from the beginning. So I love people who could make me laugh. I love jokes, even if I didn't really understand them. My granddad was very, you know, was always making me laugh, and I love. So anyone yeah. who could make me laugh, I like. I love, but I also knew I love making people. I was laugh. reading your 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 piece in the, in in the Metro today about right. the the sad realization that you've been great at making your daughter laugh, and then she was finding absolute hilarity in a brick wall, yeah, a brick right. wall the yeah. other day. So. Yeah. It's, it's good that you're at this age still crediting your granddad for that. It was specifically <laughs> his comedic performances that were making you laugh. So yes, that's, that's exactly. good. Uh, but um, so you know, I just and I like comedy. You know, I think I wanted to be a clown. You know, I loved. I sort of loved clowns. Was scared of clowns. Yeah. Uh, when I was tiny, so it was just there straight. I remember doing a puppet show for my mum and nan behind the sofa with some finger puppets, and yeah. I'm, but I remember them really laughing. Yeah. And obviously, in hindsight. They were laughing at how cute I was being. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, thought yeah, they yeah. were laughing at my jokes. Yeah. But they were laughing at how sweet this was. Yeah. But I remember them. I still remember. You know, I can remember my mum just oh, wow. really laughing and loving that feeling. So I knew. I and I wasn't interested really in music in the way that other people were. Um, you know, I didn't mind it, but I was. I didn't really like the way that it kind of tribalized everyone. And yeah. and I felt like a lot of people were being phony about what they liked. You know. Yeah. 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 And uh, and I so I and you know, I remember feeling as a teenager. You know, I don't like Phil Collins, but. Um, it seems wrong to me that if someone else likes Phil Collins, I'm not allowed yeah. to be their friend. Yeah, you know? exactly. That sort of seems weird. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Stuart can't really enjoy all that awful weird jazz, can he? It's just too much. <laughs> that can't be real. That's got to be a a line. So I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? I mean, he spent a lot of money on it, so he must some some part of him must think he likes it. Uh, but so you know. I, I, but then I got com- you know comedy records. I've got Monty Python records. I think first of all. And Pete and Dud when I was much too young, yeah, yeah, and not that you know. So, but it'd been a long time. When it, in the old days on TV, a sort of young person's TV show would come along every five years or something. So, yeah. Monty Python had come and gone by the time. So I only got Monty Python through records. It wasn't being repeated, mm-hmm. uh, and you couldn't get videos. There were no video players in, in that at that point. Yeah. And so the only way you could get stuff was on tape or on vinyl. Yeah. So I'd listen to lots of records. And is then it, Not Nine O'Clock News came along and that felt like hours. It's so. interesting realising at, at that point, because not that stand-up wasn't as big, but there wasn't um, as easy access to it, that a lot of the stuff that you're listing there is ensemble or double acts. Yeah. You know, there's not really, oh, well, I liked was... this comedian. It's all, I liked these people together and their their, their yeah. chemistry and all well, this. Well, in the 70s, stand-up was much more working, the working yeah. class, working men's club, um, you know, racist. Yeah. yeah. You know, the yeah, comedians, which I did also enjoy, I have to yeah. say. Uh, so I liked, I liked jokes, but I, I even as a kid, I felt like jokes were didn't have enough to them. And by the time yeah. I was a teenager, I just thought jokes were... 
facile. Yeah. And so when someone like Monty Python came along and was exploring ideas and characters, yeah, yeah, yeah. old Pete and Dudden being terrifically rude, not that got news. And then the young ones was a massive thing, yeah. For, yeah. you know, like a Rick Mail, Kevin Turvey actually to begin with. Yeah. Just because that was a, really felt like our generation and it yeah. really felt like our thing and adults didn't understand it and we did understand it. You know, but I had a very good rigorous sense of humour and the stuff I liked you know I knew what I liked and I knew what was good and I could tell the difference between things I mean I still like things like Cannon and Ball but I knew I wasn't meant to yeah um, and so you know it was it's, it's weird with things like that because yeah. it's you, you even ne- ne- now when you look back you have to kind of go oh that wasn't funny <laughs> I, I, but, but at the time there's so much that was I think, because well, you see, Cannon and Ball times I think were different I think and, the first know. series of Cannon and Ball I think they gen- it was I can remember seeing Bobby Ball the first time and I was young but the first time I saw their, what they were doing, it was really anarchic. And actually, Rick Mel did Cannonball. There's a YouTube thing of him on oh, Cannonball, wow. which is weird. So I think they became a bit more mainstream. But I think yeah. the first, and they were mainstream. But they, there was just something amazing about about them. Uh, maybe just the age it was then. But yeah, getting in, so it's getting into all those, you know. And that's part of the reason I wanted to go to Oxford because I knew like a lot of those people I admired yeah. had come yeah. through that route. And that was, you know, that was the route. And I, I wasn't really into stand-up. And even in the 80s, I lived in Cheddar. There was no real way of seeing... Yeah, it wasn't a big... You know, it wasn't on the tour and yeah, circuit, so even no. to go, you know, I might have been able to go to Bristol and maybe see some of the comics yeah. guys if I'd been able to get my act together. But we could, I couldn't drive. And, yeah. you know, there was it was still a long way away. Yeah. So uh, the t- it was TV and records was the way I got everything. And, yeah, and I was just, you know, I was a real comedy nerd. And, and, and things like Goon Show scripts and stuff like that was... You know, I'd ingest any of this stuff that I could. But uh, so, you know, I went to university and we did comedy at school. Weirdly, I was at school with a guy called Steve Cheek who then went to Cambridge and met Simon Munnery and they did a double act called God and Jesus at Cambridge. So he was, but he was like, he was a sort of, I seemed to kind of attach myself to these guys who were a bit sarcastic and, you know, (laughs) seemingly at least intellectually ferociously clever and, uh, you know, and are a bit, (laughs) bit mean. Yeah. Uh, and and Steve was a bit like that, and I'm a bit over, and I'm and certainly then was a lot bit oversensitive, and but it kind of works as a, a dynamic. But yeah, so yeah, he completely. he worked with Simon Munnery, and who Simon Munnery obviously then did League Against Tedium and Producer and worked with Absolutely. Stu and stuff, you know. Yeah. So it's so it all that all kind of links up in a bizarre way. But I, you know, he Steve Cheek at school was a very driving force of you know understanding what was good comedy and wanting to do our own stuff. And I'm not sure without him whether I would have done that on my own. So we did quite a lot of comedy at school. It's amazing how many all end up looping round and yeah, yeah. tying in and, and, yeah. and interlinking. Yeah, I mean, I think out of anyone who isn't a comedian, Steve Cheek probably has more influence on the comedy scene in this country. Really? Than, but well, having influenced me and Simon, and then Simon and me have influenced other people. You know, there's, yeah, so, there's yeah. so many, you know, to, and Stuart's come through that, and Stuart's influenced so many people. So there's a little seed, you know. When me and Stu met up, a lot of the things I was saying, you know, we'd, were things that at school Steve and I had decided we wouldn't do sketches about such you know we did yeah. the things that were naff to do sketches about yeah so um which i'm sure has then gone on to both of us and what we're doing yeah. so yeah so i wanted to go you know i'd done stuff at school and i kind of wanted to go to university just to do comedy really that's amazing and that's so a, that's and then my career choice in yeah. that manner of, <laughs> i'm going well, to uni just, for, purely for the comedy i mean no i hoped that i mean I, it felt like a ridiculous dream so I, you know there's a book called from fringe to flying circus that i'd bought by i think kind of roger wilmot uh, and it just detailed all the how all the fr- the beyond the fringe people and and then Monty Python and everyone in between had yeah. their, it took their whole careers and how they'd started and yeah, and yeah. I was obsessed with this book and obviously they'd all gone done student review 
Yeah. By the time we did student review, it was massively uncool and we were bullied by all the proper stand-ups. <laughs> it was awful. God but, you know, it. I couldn't believe... I went to the university not really... Thinking I'd get kicked out of university if you're not being clever enough. Yeah. Turns out most people at Oxford were stupid. Brilliant. Uh, and uh, so and I had exams at the end of my first term, which is so cruel, and I was sure I was going to fail those and get sent home. And get sent home. So I worked really hard be, for the first yeah. term and didn't do anything. <laughs> but I met Stu at what the... I mean, actually, I met Stu... The one they, there was a comedy club just started up in Oxford called the with the Fortnight. Well, I think it was this. I, can't, I think it was called the Fortnight Club or the Cellar. Fortnight, Oxford. It was in the cellar at the Oxford Union, yeah. and um, I couldn't do any of them because I was working so hard. But then I did. I did. A, I did one of them. That, that was the one week student turn up. So we met at the kind of Christmas party for this thing. But yeah, so I, once I passed my, just about passed these exams, I had to do. I sort of more or less for the rest of the time just concentrate on comedy, and 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 I really didn't think I would get far. And then, you know, we suddenly, me and Stu kind of got to, we nearly got in the Oxford straight away and, and we formed this little sketch troupe and it did, you know, it sort of really took off really quickly within university yeah. terms and suddenly going, oh, this could happen. So then I, once once it was, once I was there on one of the kind of leading lights of the the, the university scene, yeah. um, you know, it sort of felt like a possible thing and we went yeah. to Edinburgh a couple of times and, you know, and then thought, well, let's give it a go. It gives you that confidence yeah, to... Yeah continue to yeah, pursue it and, and so that through. you know that was that was a sort of starting point but it i think I, it, for me it was and there probably isn't enough time to discuss <laughs> the, you know i think because because i was so into sketch comedy and that was so unfashionable and it, and, and the oxford oxford and cambridge had basically lost their complete ascendance certainly yeah. oxford in, in in edinburgh by that time so it was taken over by stand-ups yeah and i but that we got really genuinely bullied and um you know, I'm the, oh, wow. Keith Allen turned up to one of our shows and moved all the crash mats around and punched the theatre manager and uh, and stormed out after one show, one sketch, and then just reviewed us and said we were shit. Wow! On, the, on TV, and then we had to go and do a right to reply, and then they bullied Thanks us. For coming. They bullied us some more, and uh, and you know, I was, there's a cliff of me kind of going, "Well, you turn up at, at the show and you were drunk or on drugs, and you went, you know," and he's, he's going, Ooh, "You know," so I just, I it was utterly humiliating. Um, uh, yeah. We got booked for late and live, and all the stand up comedians turned up just to heckle us which is what late in life sort of was yeah but we didn't really know that so it felt like this real just animosity from the people i wanted to in the industry i wanted to work in just uh, you know it kind of really destroyed my confidence i was overconfident before it uh, and also made me sort of passionately want to get behind sketches rather than stand up in the early days and and and, and do you feel that was based Largely on the sketch element and and the and, and the Oxford element, or had you started to get a level of success there, and there was a, a, a backlash to, to it, that? It was or? based on it was based on um, you know the history of the you know I yeah. think the the true history of the past in the in ten years before you know anyone coming out of Oxbridge would go to the BBC and get their a radio series or whatever. Yeah, straight but on, it yeah. wasn't really true. I mean, it certainly wasn't really true ever true of Oxford, but. Um, it wasn't true at all anymore, and you yeah. know, in fact, when we went and when we did get our radio stuff, <laughs> we were we, we were it was more at the we you know our producer had to threaten to resign to get us on because the yeah. weirdly the kind of Oxbridge people didn't get what we were doing, and didn't like right? What we were doing. Yeah, so it was so more. It must have been it, harsh to feel kind of like an outcast among yeah, your well, own, and yeah, then yeah. an outcast because of where you've yeah. you've, you've both come from. So you know, and it was it felt like we were being you know I was we were all comprehensive. Uh, Stu did go to public schools on a scholarship, but all the people in the show were actually comprehensive kids. Yeah. So we were being judged as something we weren't. It was very an interesting thing to experience, but it was a hard thing to cope with as a nineteen-year-old, and it was yeah. essentially adults bullying children yeah. for something they hadn't done. You know, so to to exp- and I can understand it, and I really don't. I don't, I'm not exactly blaming them, but 
to understand that kind of prejudice. You know, it's an interesting thing to, ex- to experience prejudice from a different direction and yeah. feel what it feels like was odd. But it did, it just put me on, you know, it really, when, when we came to London, Stu was really into doing stand-up, had done stand-up and, yeah. and was had an act. And I really tried, but I didn't really like, you know, I felt this... Had this weird this hurdle to and, over. Uh, to yeah, 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 yeah. And so when you know when we started doing radio stuff on radio and we started that started working, obviously I kind of preferred to do that anyway. So I sort of stuck rigorously to sort of sketches being and 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 didn't enjoy doing stand up. So yeah. coming back to stand up later was quite a big deal for me. So, I, uh, uh, so how was it uh, uh, when you had the TV shows and that kind of that feeling? Uh, was there a feeling of right? I've made it and it's gonna be all plain sailing from here or was it a feeling of shit what we doing kind of you know, I think it's, you know, it's a weird, it, it says a lot about I mean comedy's changed a lot and I think in those days I mean we, it was still ama- our, our progress was amazingly rapid yeah. I wish it hadn't been as rapid in, in hindsight because it just felt like we were we were sort of lucky but we, you know a lot of this business is about the luck of being at the right place at the right yeah. time and being at the right place to do on the hour was a lot of luck I mean, you've uh, pretty much had everything that people dream from yeah. in a career, but in a scattergun random order. Yeah. In, 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 it's, it's not like you got you went up and then have just dropped. It's like there's been up, then there's been this bit yeah, yeah. here, and then there's been this, and it's all on top of the world here. And then, you know, yeah, it's no, like, it's difficult. But I never, I don't feel personally. I've really had a like. I've not had a triumphant, you know, and you know, I haven't gone. Yeah, there's not been a day yeah, I've gone. Yeah, yeah, I'm there. So even though, what, but when I look back at it, I go, look, that's pretty amazing. We had four yeah. TV, BBC two TV series. Basically, within five years, I'd achieved my ambition, which was yeah. to have you know our own TV sketch show, and then we did four four series of that. But I think because it never, you know, it was so precarious. Even when we had it, the first series we did it, and I thought it was re- the first series of Vistafun, I think was really good. We, we'd worked really, I mean, we worked really hard, especially me. I have to say, <laughs> I wrote very hard. Stu was Stu was a bit lazy with the writing, but we, right. you know, we both still worked very hard. But I was, my whole life was dedicated to yeah. comedy and nothing else really. And we had no, I had no money. I was staying at home eating baked potatoes and just writing all day, yeah. on, you know, and into the night and editing stuff in the night. And we wrote, you know. 50 hours of radio I think before you know in those three or four years we worked on the radio um, and so getting a TV show you know it felt like it was progressing as I had un- understood the progression as you go I didn't realise how rapid it was and I didn't really I don't think I appreciate how lucky we were but also it didn't feel like it was a big success because it didn't you know we got reasonable ratings for Fist of Fun but it didn't get amazing reviews and we weren't being fated and you know it didn't feel like this is the yeah. It, was, it felt like still very much a cultish show, and then the BBC made us change it for the second series, which I think mildly ruined it. So there's still some there's, the sketch is sort of better in the second series, but the, the actual format's much worse. Uh, and then they took us off, and then it felt like it was over. And then we had a year where we were, where we were working out what was going to happen. And then Paul Jackson came in, and who liked us and got us back on, and we're doing yeah. this morning. And then we had two years of that, and then that got taken off. So you know, it, ne- it never felt like we'd got over the hump yeah and it's, and it's, we weren't we weren't a success and it wasn't like you know we were still we were still touring and no one was coming to see us yeah so it's it's, it's crazy those things because i had similar i had um adam buxton on the other week and it's it's one of them weird ones as you were kind of saying earlier that people probably remember it being bigger than at least it, you felt it was at the time because yeah. uh, when you're in that kind of thing you're you're very much aware of of the numbers of yeah. comparison to other shows r- rather than just of what's actually ha- yeah. happened you know I mean so you're hyper aware of that so in people's m- memory so how kind of frustrating is it that you've to have something in your body at work that it's like well 
it's no good it being huge <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> well, no, it's no good being I'm glad you remember it being massive, but. <laughs> well, that's the, you know, so it's a weird thing because people, but then that was the, was a, the weird reaction at the time because people who recognised you would go nuts, but they'd usually yeah. be the group of five people who didn't know you. And then they would go, oh, God, it's you. Look, it's in there. Okay, who is he? And then, and then there's the nothing, person you'd recognise, you'd be angry with you. There's nothing not more awkward than someone excitedly having yeah. to explain your career to friends who have no idea and <laughs> trying to explain why they should be excited to meet you. And you have to be the kind of guy, you don't have to be excited to meet. It's like, uh, no. I don't know. But it was, you know, it was, it was amazing, really. And we toured around, and, you know, but it, I, don't, I never felt I could... I never enjoyed it, partly because Stu made it difficult to enjoy. He was always quite miserable and always quite, you know, down on stuff. And he, right. however things went, he would always bring it down or on it. And, he, you know, we'd, we were touring around, but he was kind of this puritanical figure. Right. <laughs> if everyone had any fun. So, although it was, there was lot, we had lots of, you know, touring, being in a tour band with Stuart Lee and Kevin Eldon or Richard Thomas was lots of fun. Yeah. Uh, but then also, you know, it's, we were working so hard in each other's pockets and yeah. you know, annoying each other and... Yeah, um, I mean, it's a, it's a tough yeah, a, for, a scenario to for, be... For 10 years, so it's so it really wow, yeah, difficult. And, and all the time just thinking, we were trying to work, trying to make it better. We did work really, really hard on it. Our producer really pushed us, I think, too far. Yeah. I think we made us rewrite and rewrite when we didn't need to, you know, I think yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, you know, and we would argue, me and Stu would argue over like whether a sentence should have a or the in it, you know, for <laughs> first four hours. Yeah. Rather than just one of us going, oh, you, you, this time you say you can have your one. There's, in, in any working relationship <laughs> like that, there's a massive moment when you realise which battles to, yeah, to fight. Exactly. And again, that could, cause that can be the, the most, the killer thing that you're arguing over the stupidest stuff that if it, if by the time it's actually on TV, you probably won't remember w- which, <laughs> which side you were arguing. <laughs> you know you were arguing one, but you won't remember which one. So exactly. Yeah. So you know, it was just crazy. And I don't, th- you know, I think I, I think I had a lot of hang-ups. I think a lot of this stuff from the, the from this initial Edinburgh thing still hung over me. So I was I was quite insecure about everything. So I didn't enjoy it, you know. And then it had gone, yeah. and then it's passed. And I look back at it, and it doesn't feel like me in it. Right. I mean, yeah, I think that you know, I, again, I watch it and. I enjoy quite a lot of it when we did the Fist of Fun commentaries you know mainly enjoyed it some of it you feel a bit embarrassed about but I'm not I don't care about you know I don't care about that I think things you're going to change your mind about what you think's funny over your career and things are going to change because Go Faster Stripe did a, the Fist of Fun yeah, DVD yeah, as well yeah. didn't they they had all the commentaries on that yeah, yeah. yeah again so you know so yeah and that's and it's lo- lovely that that did well and people wanted to buy that and it was you know that it was it, you know it's sort of fun but it, I think again it's sort of weird going back and dredging and dredging it up and in, in a way in the end we yeah. had problems over this morning and then I just realised it, it's better just to let it go you know yeah. and in fact I kind of, of course. I had a quite good time just getting rid of it I had loads of props and stuff and I eBayed them all just to get rid of it yeah and I think it's just better to leave it behind yeah. completely so yeah. so I mean <laughs> you look back at that and kind of it doesn't feel like it was you which is kind of again I completely understand that particularly when you are part of not only a double act, but a whole. There was a load of you touring together and all this. Yeah. So you're kind of you're you're all a fist of fun, or you're all. I mean, yeah. you're all or, or or Lee and Heron or whatever. So yeah. when you did then step into your own shoes yeah. and 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 return to stand up and do it on your own, do you look back at those and see it as as the first time it was you coming through, through again? And yeah. how was that after the? The, the 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 horribleness of the those Edinburgh experiences. How yeah. much more pressure and nerve wracking was that to go right? I'm on my own as well yeah, now. It was really, I'm stepping really out difficult. here. I mean, I find it much more difficult. I think like when the double act stew was more or less doing what he did in his stand up anyway. Yeah, 
uh, was very close to that, and I was playing a stupid character that well, was like me, yeah. but was but wasn't me. I mean, that was it, and 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 the way you guys wrote a lot of that was you were a lot of the time reacting to Stu's anger or Stu's yeah. Stu's Stu's rant or whatever else, which then means he can go off and have that anger and rant in a similar style on yeah. his stand-up, but you can't be going, right, has everyone seen Stu's show? Because I'm now going to react for an hour. To, you know, to, that, yeah. that can't oh, no. work. So. <laughs> no, but, you know, I mean, it was. I and mean, even if you watch, I think if you watch both of us, but I think a lot of people say with Stu, you know, he does he does a little version of me in a lot of his routines now. Right, he, yeah, he yeah, needs yeah, that, yeah, yeah. But you can do that with with that stuff. Yeah, but yeah of course, but I, I never thought of that, but that's a great uh, point. He does kind of, yeah. <laughs> but, and I think I'll probably do it with him, is that we both have that duality and we yeah. both used to write each other's stuff, you know, so it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, uh, in fact, in the double act, we often found it easier to be the other one than ourselves. But, um, it was a, it was a massive deal for me and I I sort of had an interim period where I wrote uh, Al Murray's sitcom. So I had this, so the TV show had finished and so even though I kind of was disappointed about it, I was sort of more or less straight into having to work really hard on this sitcom. I wrote 37 episodes of a sitcom yeah. for Al Murray and, uh, and with Al Murray. And, but, you know, A, that had the effect of like delaying my realisation that things had changed. But B, I also earned a lot of money, yeah. which, we'd ne- which I'd never done before. Hell, that's so, a lot of fun. Uh, so, you know, it, that gave me an actual security, you know, a, a borderline security and I bought a house, you know, the, uh, I put down a mortgage with a mortgage. And so that gave me this security that's been very useful. Uh, Particularly and, in this kind of industry. Yeah, like yeah. Anytime you can actually lock down something like that yeah. and be right now you know there's yeah. not that you know you've got that slight breathing space to yeah. be creative to be artistic to not just have to take the gigs that come along because yeah, you need to pay the bills and you can't i don't think anyone i couldn't do it now you know even if i got the same job i don't know yeah. I, could, I couldn't afford to buy my house even yeah. if i was doing that i'd be I, I got paid very very well for that job but even even you know i, I wouldn't get paid as well for that job but also i would nowhere near having enough to put down on yeah. the house now so it was you know it was i'm Timing. insanely lucky um with that, but then it meant when once that was over, and then that wasn't going on, then I had to think about what I was going to do, and I was, I, and I moved into this house, and I'd meant to be moving in with someone, and that broke up. So I was living in this quite, you know, reasonable sized family house on my own, and um, it was, and then trying to come to terms with the changes and what I was going to do, yeah. and whether it was all over, and uh, and then trying to work out how I was going to. But you know, I'd done these, I'd done Christ on a Bike and Talking Cock, I suppose, around the same time. Uh, which didn't feel like stand-up shows; they felt like theatre shows to me. Yeah. But, but yeah, doing. Tw- I remember Christ on a Bike. It was a massive deal for me being on my own. I kept on trying to do things where I'd include the sound guy or something just to have yep. someone to yeah, yeah, just to, to bounce, bounce off. off. Yeah. And uh, and then managed to get rid of all those bits mainly in the end. Yeah. And that, but then creating that show and it working and being on stage on my own. But I remember being in Edinburgh the first time I was doing that show. I had like a I had a lapel mic anyway, but I had a I had a mic on a stand that wasn't on. Yeah. But I just held on and I just held on to it just for that all the way through yeah. just to, to have that security yeah. and that. And yeah. so and but it gave me it was a big confidence boost to be able to do that on my own. But I still didn't think of it as stand up. Yeah. Even though it was, but I couldn't have done that stuff in a stand-up club, yeah. I suppose, just because it wouldn't have worked. But um, so that was one thing to get over and do that and realise I could perform on my own because I'd just convinced myself I was better yeah. in, in ensemble or double act. You know, that was what I would yeah, do, yeah, what yeah. I did. And that's the, again, it's the confusing thing there is uh, most things you're going to have worked on, again, you're going to be working on both sides of it. You, yeah. As, as you were saying, you're going to have been, you're both going to have been writing y- y- your jokes and Stu's jokes yeah. and back and forth yet. That then feeling, so it's kind of a, a, a misguided pressure of, can I do it on my own? Yeah. It's like, well, you, you, yeah. you definitely can because yeah. you've, you've been writing that. But then, yeah, I can understand yeah. that 
and so fear was, and paranoia. That was a big deal. And the, both those shows, Chrysler and Bike and Talking Cock sort of did well in Edinburgh terms, you know, yeah. and, um, and I toured them to, you know, general indifference and did them in London when hardly anyone came. I think maybe Talking Cock did better. Talk, I mean, Talking Cock felt like it, Talking Cock felt like it was going to take off, yeah. like massively. And it was at the same time as Stu was doing Jerry Spring the Opera, which felt like it was going to take off and yeah. didn't take off. And Talking Cock did very well, and I did a book, and it got sold all around the world. So again, that was another like that was the first show I'd done. Now someone was doing yeah. it in France, and and I was being sent a check for three thousand pounds every month. Amazing. And that felt quite good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know that was the only one that did really successfully. But uh, you know, people were paying me to put on the shows and elsewhere and you know it felt like it, it felt like it was going to go bigger and become a tv show maybe yep. and then that didn't happen so that was sort of weird and then i had a year off in between which maybe i was doing time jump and please again i can't quite remember well no i think i just toured talking cock for two years uh and so then and then i did a show called the 12 tasks of hercules terrace which didn't do as well and was a was sort of too many ideas for an edinburgh show really it was like right. I did 12 crazy things and yeah. then i taught them in an hour it worked better over a tour show but it was still a bit of a weird mismatch of a yeah. show but I did loads of, you know, it was a thing about trying to recreate the 12 tasks of Hercules. Yeah. I was quite shy and I was quite, you know, I, I was quite, uh, I didn't like taking risks and stuff. So I did this show where which forced me to do parachute jumping and I yeah. dated 50 women in 50 nights and did, I mean, yes. nearly everything yeah, I did yeah, in it yeah, was yeah, 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 yeah. a show in itself, really. Yeah. So it was a bit of a crazy show. But having done that show, which sort of didn't work in Edinburgh and I was in the wrong venue and the venue wasn't doing well and everyone didn't get paid and it was sort of weird. Um but doing that show, I kind of thought, well, why aren't I doing, st- you know, why this yeah. sort of is stand-up. Yeah. Why have I got this problem with stand-up? Can't, you know, if I've of, done all of, these challenges. Of putting it into some kind yeah. of other slight category yeah, yeah. when it's, yeah. So so then I thought, well, I've, you know, I've done all these things. I've pushed myself and it's been, you know, it was very good for me because it, it got me, you know, I think I was a bit sort of useless and uh, and I was too shy and I was, you know, I'd stay at home. I'd, you know, I think throughout my 20s I was, you know, I was on TV, but I was pretty much every weekend staying at home, yeah. playing playing Civilization Two on my computer for right. you know all after all weekend because yeah. I was too scared to ring up anyone yeah. and say, "Do you want to come out?" And there are achievements there, <laughs> but they're not real world <laughs> they achievements. Are real achievements. There's, there's no. So when you think about you know when, you, when people go, "Oh, it must have been amazing being on too," but seriously, we hardly went to any parties, yeah. and and though there was lots of good things in it, as I have to say, but but I was very shy and I was very self conscious. How, how was it on this recent a, a revisiting of some yeah. of the earlier shows? Do you feel that you now had the ability to make it what it could be like the ex- example you were giving there that yeah. you felt it was too much to to get well, across it, well, you know, I did you feel it, now you're now experienced enough to go right this I, is i think partly i mean i think by the time been. by the time i got to the end of that tour it was the show was working it didn't work in edinburgh but going back to it i was i actually was that was one of the shows i was most impressed with because yeah. i think my opinion of it was the lowest yeah. but actually it's a very it's because it's a show about being depressed and it's a show about nearly going mad yeah uh, and uh, and then and breaking up with someone and then getting out of it and it's a really positive ending and it, I did this the middle of it was me doing this number plate game where you have to see numbers from one to nine hundred ninety nine in consecutive numerical order yes it's like a really impossible game that yeah, I tried to play as a kid and couldn't do and then I took it on as this thing and then it became this central thing and it almost yeah. became a religion and I managed somehow I managed to do it yeah and, but then I had this kind of and I was worried that. Um, it was going to send, when I finished it, I was worried it was going to send me mad because I sort of start believing in these, yeah. as a joke, believing in these gods. And then I was worried that once I'd finished it, 
would they would their gods appear or they wouldn't appear yeah, and yeah, my yeah, life yeah. would fall apart or I'd suddenly have nothing to live for. And the end of the show is me saying, you know, but then I nothing happened and I was thinking that's a bit weird. But then, you know, having finished it, I walked back to my house and I, I was looking at you know, I was seeing the trees and the happy faces of the yeah. little kids and for the first time in two years I was looking at things that weren't car number plates. Yeah. And having yeah. not <laughs> genuinely not and had then, that I've had this very moving. I'm so I'm slightly moved by now and to go back on I've had it especially moving. But to the realisation that um by doing that, that crazy thing, I sort of had realised something, you know, that, that yeah. I needed to do that, but by getting out of the way, uh, you know, and I do this, and I messed up on the night actually, but it was this idea of sometimes, uh, you know, you don't, and there's a noise there and you don't know it's there, but when it's gone, suddenly it's silent and, yeah. you know, it's that kind of thing that actually having got through it, yeah, there, having it was a very yourself positive, through that and, and then realising all the things that it made me do that yeah. were crazy, but they had kind of, and I'd got a girlfriend at the end of it and, you know, and, and yeah. all these things that happened. And it was a very positive show. So it's a lovely, you know, I actually think it's a really lovely show that, again, was like a little bit o- overlooked. Yeah, again, I mean, the simplicity complex. there of, of having to to put yourself through tasks that aren't enjoyable to yeah. then have the enjoyment of not doing them tasks <laughs> exactly, anymore yeah, yeah. Is, 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 is a deep, a very deep and philosophical <laughs> but, thing of, but, you know, when I did of the, the parachute job, of attrition was, in that was, way. To, I was really terrified. It was just a tandem parachute. I was terrified of doing that. But I remembered after finishing that as well, it was just like, you know, I felt so alive yeah. just for having done it, you know, and I remember feeling Did you like feel amazing. alive from having done it or from having to not have to do it yeah, now? Yeah, both of those things. Kind of like, yeah. like that's, I don't have, that's not, I never have to do that again <laughs> But it's now. over that's, that's because happened. the anticipation yeah. was so awful <laughs> and it was a kind of amazing thing to do, but it, yeah, but I absolutely not want to do it again. Yeah. Amazing, oh, yeah. amazing. So, so yeah, so all the, you know, but I think all these things, they're learning experiences. So even if that show hadn't been good and I think it was good in the end and I think looking back at it, you know, as I say, it's, there's, there's, it's a, there's a really lovely story to the show. Um, even if it was just sort of realising that I must do stand-up. And that, so going back to doing stand-up, so I've been writing a blog for a few years by then, never thinking these blogs could be stand-up material. Yeah. But then realising subsequently that some of it could be stand-up material. Yeah, yeah. But then it's unusual stand-up material because it's all about the little things I'm noticing in the world that are kind of crazy again. So, yeah, completely. So that created a really weird show called Someone Like Shogger, which again, I got... It's partly bashed and partly loved but i think is my most popular stand-up show probably yeah. in terms of sales and stuff and i really like it. it's nuts and it's persi- just persistent and awful and and i'm like the dog <laughs> with a bone in it but there's some really great stuff in yeah it. but you know so that got me back into that so that i think sort of realizing i could do stand-up that and that was enough for me as a performer and i think i've been sitting at home writing books and writing mm. scripts and i realized that even just going Getting back into stand-up, realising even just going to a little pub, I remember passing the Hammersmith Apollo and Jimmy Carr was on and I was then doing a pub round the corner and there were 10 people in the audience. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, there's part of me thinking, oh, that's, you know, when you think about where I was and where I am. But I was so happy just to be performing to those 10 yeah. people and knowing it's harder to perform to 10 people than, yeah, yeah, than 3,000 yeah, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I, and it scratched the itch of performance enough that I, I realised I don't need, it doesn't matter to me the level I'm at. Yeah. Obviously, it's nicer if more people are coming in and making yeah. some money, but and more people like you. But I've got that, so that that makes me a lot happier that I can do that performing. It doesn't, that, doesn't have to be on TV. It doesn't have to be a big deal, the, and then I can get on with my the rest of my life. Yeah, so. the continual act of of of, of creating, yeah. of, of creating something that's that you're that you can be pleased of that works. Yeah. That's re- reassuring yourself in many ways that you're 
good at this. This yeah. is something that you, yeah, you know, you're capable so. of so, this. And I became, you know, and I wasn't good at it too, and I wasn't great at it being with stand-up, and I was very nervous when the f- first gigs, I was sort of doing bits of talking cock and bits and pieces, and, you know, I think a couple of the... Re- I think, I, actually, I, I, about someone's yoghurt, I think, you know, the, the people kept on doing parallels between me and Stu, obviously, at the time. Yeah. Um, but I think, because we were doing similar things because we'd worked to work together, but yeah. I think there is, I think the actual, the uh, hand job routine in someone like, I think someone like Yoghurt Menage and the next one, that's the only one I think that is like a Stuart Lee routine that yeah. I've copied off Stuart Lee. The rest of it is, yeah. the rest of it is very much, you know, my take on on our on what we both liked doing, which was taking an idea and shaking it to death, and then <laughs> carrying on shaking it to death. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then yeah, but then so that and then in in and then combined with getting good at stand up, realizing that was something I could do, and that was that was been stupid about it. That I could tour those shows, which would give me something to do and and a bit of a revenue uh, and. Also, then this, the internet coming in, you know, that, yeah. at that point, so 2008. So I'd had, had three or four years of being a stand-up and then and then got into the kind of internet stuff and then realising potentially, you know, that I, I'm still asked to... I still write scripts for TV and do, obviously, bits of appearances on TV every now and again, panel shows and stuff. Yeah. But, um, you know, I sort of... It was real. I did realise that there was a way of maybe keeping control of everything and and that it's actually more to do with you know to me it's more important the stuff gets out there and is created than is yeah. it's even that many people see it so or that you make money out or that you become famous from it i'd rather create good stuff that i think's good yeah if other people do as well that's great if other people go that was a bit ropey so the snooker thing is one of my favorite things i do a lot it makes a lot of people confused yeah and angry and think i'm mad <laughs> but that's partly what it's about it's about experimenting with madness again and it's about it's about experimenting with the competition within yourself, yeah. which I think is the most important competition. Yeah. And you can never defeat yourself and you can never escape yourself. And it's about the duality of, of humanity. And it's a stupid idea. You know, it's yeah. all framed in a stupid, annoying thing yeah. that the part of the joke is I'm doing it. And part of the joke is you're, you're listening, listening to it, it. completely. So I, did a thing, uh... <laughs> I did a thing one year I was going to, I decided I was going to watch, I was, I'd had a, I'd had a relationship, a, a breakup around Christmas. Right. It was either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And 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 the Watchmen film was on, right. and I loved the book, and I, I I'm one of the few that enjoyed the film, right. and I decided to do a live stream of me watching the Watchmen, <laughs> just as just as a who watches the Watchmen yeah, thing, yeah. And, and you couldn't see the TV, you could just see me watching the Watchmen. Yeah. I'd comment every now and then, and then someone else started to do a stream of them watching me watching the Watchmen, and that was just a spur of the moment thing. But I was yeah. just so happy in them. I was like, and it's like this is just great that we're all getting yeah, it's Christmas. But... It's obviously the people who are a bit lonely because <laughs> yeah. we all happen to be online at this time of year. But yeah, but that's, I mean, that's what like, you know. There's a lot of bad about the internet, and there's lots of negative things about social media. But I think it, I love the way it does bring people together in that way. I love the way you can do a, a joke that lasts for six years. I mean, the snooker thing's a joke that's lasted for sort of six years. Yeah. That was that started as a Twitter I thing, you know, but or or any of those those things. Yeah. I so, so I mean, I'm going to st- uh, start to wrap things up and yeah. let you 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 get on your way. But we talked earlier about um, the feeling that it's hard to really break down too much of. A career because so much of it you've just been making up as you go along. Yeah. That's kind of the nature of it. Do you feel now going forward that you've you've worked yourself to a point where you can have that bit more of a a plan going f- forward? It, f- it feels like you've got the setup of the podcast is yours. The yeah. podcast is something that you're in control of, and it's not dependent on if you get commissioned or anything no. else. It's your own thing. And similar with the at, at the Edinburgh shows again, you've built that career and that reputation that. 
you know that you can keep producing good shows and keep having an yeah. audience there. So, so does it, it, it feel like you've got more of a plan going forward now? Or is there more that... I think, you know, to be honest, last year, um, and part of the reason I didn't go back to Edinburgh again was because I had this kind of weird experience in Edinburgh, but realised that it wasn't necessarily the right place for me to be trying stuff out anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of wondered whether it was... You know, I still wonder whether it's going to all fall apart. Yeah. So I did this play that didn't people didn't come and see and I lost a heap of money on right. it. And in my stand-up show, I was banking on making a bit of money to offset what I was imagining were smaller yeah. costs. And uh, that didn't make any money, you know, because it was right. on later. And so people didn't... Not as many people came as I was right. hoping. So, yeah. so, I, you know, and I was doing a show I was really pleased with. And the play was what I was pleased with as well. But I thought it was really good, but people weren't that interested. Um, you know, so I still feel like a little bit like it's... It's There's a tenuous that, that risk set, there, you know, yeah. that next year people might go, oh, no, we've had enough anymore, I'm mm. bored of the Les Square Theatre podcast, or I might get bored of it, or we might not, you know, the, it might just feel too repetitive. At the moment it feels like it's evolving, yeah. but I've, I've, I've pulled out, you know, something like As It Occurs To Me, which is my other, I think probably my most successful podcast in a way, in terms of getting people to come and see me at least. Yeah. I kind of got, you know, I found it too difficult and it was upset, you know, it was driving me mad and I thought I'd stop right. doing it. And I think if I'd been more sent, I mean, we might start reviving it, but yeah. it'll be a different thing again. But I maybe should have carried on doing that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So you know, so, so I'm likely to get bored of something or change my mind, or you know, you just don't. I would, but I like that about it. You know, I like the the risk and the danger. You know, when I'm thinking of moving now, and the choice is: do I move to a smaller house and not have a mortgage, or do I move to a bigger house and have, and have a big to, have yeah, a big yeah, mortgage yeah, yeah. to fight against? And so you know, and there's <laughs> there's a part of me thinking both ways because if I know I've got to, if I know I don't have to work, I'm not sure I I would work. Just having that constant motivation. So yeah, so if I know hanging over you, yeah. So you know, I think I think I'm. And you, you never know what's going to happen health-wise and all that sort of stuff. So, um, as you get older, and I don't, you know, I want. To, I've got a young family now, and I want to enjoy my daughter. So there's there's things that, but that drives you both ways. It drives you to think, well, I don't want to work, but then it makes you think, well, I'd want to make. But it makes me want to work yeah, yeah, in the yeah. right. Make sure I'm focusing correctly. I think you know I'm excited about what the possibilities are. I don't know whether we'll. I'll make it in that sense, but you know, I don't know whether the the plans to to expand that uh, the uh, the internet stuff will work uh, but uh yeah i mean i suppose the nice thing is knowing having i think having got through that last year in edinburgh and then come out and the tour went fine and paid for all my expenses and was good and then i've created you know i'm half I'm over halfway to creating a new show that i think is going to be better and uh so that's good but you know yeah. every year you think oh what if i don't think of anything to do yeah or, what if i what if it all dries up so it's, 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 it's that weird thing that that doubt will all, it feels like it will forever remain there. Yeah. No matter how many years you've had of consistently producing new material, consistently, and again, I have that, like, every yeah. album I finish, I'm kind of thinking, <laughs> pretty sure that's all I've got. I'm pretty sure that's everything there. I and then the, the next album is, comes about and it works. Once you've finished something, it's pretty good. Yeah. Especially with touring. Yeah. You know, it's getting better all the time. By the end of the tour, you kind of... You might like that you, you, you might sort of observe it as you're doing it and go, wow, this is how did I come up with this? This yeah. is really classic. And then you think, I've got to write the next one. How did I do that in the last? I've forgotten one? how you because, got well, there you, well, because it's come about by a process yeah. of hours and hours of working yeah, on something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's that's a terrifying moment when you you leave one show and have to go to the next one. But you know, I'm, I think I'm really content with who I am and where I am. And I think for a long time. I wasn't. Yeah. I was either wanting to be more recognised or more famous or more successful or, you know, or just, or whatever, you know. Uh, I'm really glad none of that's, you know, I think there was, 
there was a point, I think like with the Lee and Herring stuff, there would have been a point where I would have loved being famous and marrying a supermodel and all that yeah, sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad I didn't go down that route. Yeah. And I'm so glad I don't have that. And I think it would have driven me mad. And I think if we'd be, if Lee and Herring had been Little Britain, yeah. let's say, yeah. well, I don't know why that came out of my head, uh, then, uh, <laughs> then, you know, I think it would have, I think it would have destroyed us both. I think yeah. Stu wouldn't have been able to, wouldn't have liked being that popular. Yeah. And, uh, and I would have gone nuts the other way. Uh, and so, you know, I think... Thank I God really... for civilization keeping you in and, and <laughs> keeping you on, on Well, I'm on very track. unlikely to be a supermodel um, the, with the lifestyle I have. But it's, you know, it's... Uh, but I think, you know, I've, 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 I've been... I can't believe I've been depressed in my life because I've had a very lucky life. And, yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 yeah, as you say, I've worked... I mean, I've worked for 25 years and always worked. And I, I, I can't imagine that there isn't something for me to do for the next 20 years. Yeah. So uh, you know, even if even if it isn't before me, even if it's just producing or script yeah, editing or whatever, it's, it's it's an interesting industry. And I was discussing this with um, I had Kurt Sutter on last week, who wrote Sons of Anarchy and The Shield and stuff oh, like yeah. that. And it's a fascinating industry because every time in entertainment, you kind of you'll you, you'll see the movies and think, I love movies. Yeah, I want to be a movie star. And you'll forget that there's a million other roles that are part of that as well. Yeah, and that's a similar. Th- Thing I think, as soon as you've been at the front, you, you forget that in all this experience, you've got the experience to produce. Yeah. yeah. To do, so if there is a point where you feel, I am done with, I am done with being on stage. I'm done with this. Yeah. Like you've had so many years of experience of the the book inside of it, the tour managing, so everything else that you yeah. can. There's there's loads. Yeah, but so it's that like constantly scary thing because you is, are. It it's is. not. It's not a job. Well, where you've got your pension and you, no. you know everything else all stacked up there. No. But you know, I think what's nice is I do sort of feel content and I don't feel bitter about anything. Yeah. Most of the time, <laughs> and I don't. You know, I don't. I don't. I'm not looking at other people going, "Oh, I wish that was me." You know, I I genuinely look at Stu and I'm delighted for yeah, him yeah, yeah, yeah. because I think he deserves it, and people expect me to be. You know, and I think it also just gives you hope. Yeah. That it's a, that that can happen completely. So you know, so there's lots of positives. I mean, it could have happened to a nicer person, but uh, <laughs> there's lots of, there's lots of positives uh, from it. But you know, but also it literally could have happened to a nicer person. <laughs> but there's lots of you know, and and also whether you want that, you know, I sudden I think that's it. I think it's that sort of. I'd quote it in my program. It's not quite in the show, but there's in Vanity Fair, which I studied for A level. Yeah. Um, Dobbin, this character, spends his whole life trying to court this woman. And eventually he marries her, and then it's just not that good. And yeah. he, you know, there's a line saying he realised the prize he spent his life trying to get wasn't worth the winning. Which I, I sort of I, I, vaguely I, quoted earlier, and yeah. and I just sort of think that's you know, I sort of think the thing that I would have aspired to and wanted from this, I would have hated and would yeah. have destroyed me. That's it. And and what I've got is much more valuable and much more enjoyable. Completely. I had had Billy Bragg on the podcast a while back, and one of the things that he said was the thing that's most painful for him to see is people who get their dream and realise they're not happy and realise that they're miserable, who have this dream of being a rock and roll star, and then they get to do it, and then they're like, all right. Yeah. And he's like, he said he felt lucky that he got it and he loves it. And it's, yeah. you know, it, the, what he got is he's at that le- that level and that place that's just, it's exactly what he, yeah, he needed it to and be. Yeah, I think you know, he loves music. I love comedy. You know, I always yeah. loved comedy and I'm being a comedian. And I'm yeah. di- so, if, you know, if I asked my 14-year-old self and I did it in Headmaster's Son this bit a little yeah. bit, but if he knew what I was doing, I mean, I think, I don't know, he might say, well, you know, what's the internet and yeah. that's not good being on TV <laughs> when he might be right about that. But, um, you know, I'm actually a comedian. Yeah. I know I'm working in the thing I love, and I love comedy. And you know, and if I can help other people be better and do better, I'm delighted about that. 
Um, so it's that's the nice thing, you know. And I think, yeah, yeah if you if you're constantly striving for something that's actually unattainable or yeah. that you think will complete you. You know, you think this is the thing that's going to make me happy. That's the it's saddest not the thing. Yeah, that's the scariest so thing to have, I, right? I see those people, you know, and they're kind of friends with Elton John mm. and they're young people and you kind of go, why Why, are you, why, is, why aren't you friends yeah. with people from school? Yeah, yeah. And why is that better? Being friends with Elton John, is that better than being... Yeah, being yeah friends of your Friends with your mates. people at university with. Well, so, you know. Yeah. I think that's perfect. I think that's completely made sure that we're going to have absolutely nothing to talk about on Sunday <laughs> on your podcast. I'm glad we'll I got in me. first. We'll I'm glad me. I got in first and, 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 and used all of our conversation. But thank you very much, sir. No, thank you for having me. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for coming down. I look forward I to, to joining better. you. I feel like I've been on a psychiatrist camp. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> There we go, that was Richard Herring for the 70th episode of the Distraction Pieces podcast. And that was a a, a lovely chat, it felt like we could have gone on forever and that was pleasing because, as I mentioned at the start, um, later that week, um, we were going on more on Richard Herring's podcast um, and I'm now recording this outro after that's happened and I was very pleased that we had loads to talk about and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, then I, oh yeah, to Richard, that um, I felt when I was on his podcast in Edinburgh, I wasn't very good. Um, thankfully, you'll be pleased to know um, I fucking killed it this time. Um, yeah, so that was good and that's coming out in January, I think, uh, on Richard Herring's uh, podcast, so that'll be great. Um, it's December now, right? And I figured December, it's Christmas and that, and it, and it's cold. So people's people are either wanting to have a reason to not go out, or their journeys to work are just all that more horrible and painful. So I thought for the first week of December, uh, let's give you two distraction pieces podcasts because you know it's December and we'll give you a little treat. And last month. In November, I, f- I forgot, f- forgot to mention this. I believe that was our biggest month ever. Um, so thank you all for spreading the word and all the all the new listeners and downloaders. So, I mean, the 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 two live ones went down a treat, but then after that, Adam Buxton, uh, Chris Jericho, Kurt Sutter, and now Richard Herring. Um, oh no, no, Richard Herring. I guess is in December. That's what I'm saying, December. But yeah, any just shut up. It's been a good month. Thank you. So I'm rewarding you with an extra guest this week. So we're going to have a Friday um, podcast this week. And our guest, so that'll be episode 71, um, is a guy called John Osborne, who's fantastic. Um, A a lot of you know of him. He's... I've had him on my stage at Camp Festival and Festival numerous times. He's he's a spoken word artist and and writer in general. Um, But he's just had a new series out on Sky on Sky One, which is amazing. It's a, a comedy that he's written, and it's the first kind of script he's written, I believe, and it's this amazing a, a comedy called After Hours, which is about um, essentially a pirate radio station, um, and it's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, we decided to have a quick chat, and I thought that would go well as a two... A two, a two to, to kick off December to give you an extra little treat. So you will hear that next week. I highly recommend it. It's... It's fascinating because I, I didn't get around to mention it and I'll probably m- end up mentioning this in, in my intro or outro. 
it's amazing how much uh, John has 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 achieved, and that sounds derogatory. It's not. He's an amazingly talented writer, but he's never struck me as the most kind of um, I don't know business minded. Never struck me as one to be out networking or a go go go. He works with a lot of different uh, poets, and there's a particular poet who a lot of you again will know called Luke Wright, who's very much. You know he's great at his his PR, his networking, at getting in with the arts councils and things like that. And and John, as 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 amazingly talented as he is, has never struck me as that guy or, or having that side of his game yet. He's now had three books. He's now got a TV series, um, and yeah, amazingly successful. So it's it's a great story, and he explains all that. He explains how it all came about and what he's done and how he kind of has. In a way, he lived his life and weirdly crafted his social life to prepare him for when these opportunities have come up. It's weird. Again, I don't think it was particularly intentional, but it happened that everything he seemed to be doing in his life meant that when these opportunities did come, they were just, you know, perfect for him. Um, But yeah, so check that out on Friday. A little extra one. Spread the word. Um, Thank you for tuning in. It'd be lovely if you could subscribe and give like five-star reviews on itunes and stuff like that and just tell your friends i I mean i go on about this a lot but um just tell your friends i think podcasts of the future there's been some great ones we're looking at doing actually i should i'll I'll reveal it as an exclusive now i'm looking at doing a few episodes at the end of the year that are going to be a year in review um and it's going to be going over um films some music news and some of my favourite podcasts, not of my own, or, or maybe some of my own as well, um, of the year. And I'm planning on doing it with a couple of my mates, and I'll reveal all that down the line. And the plan is to just go through each month. Um, the other plan is to get drunk. So I don't know how many episodes it will spread over, but you're guaranteed that by the end of it will be an absolute mess. But yeah, that's the plan for the um, kind of Christmas and New Year specials would be me and a couple of my mates just talking about the year. Again, starting at January, I'll have a list of kind of events and I'll have some events and then we'll, we'll, we'll see what drums up conversation and excitement and then we'll work through the year. So yeah, that's something to look forward to, right? We've got more this week. So this week on Friday is John Osborne and next week is a fascinating one and I'm very, very excited about it. It feels like an important one too. Um... I sat down and spoke with Dale Vince, who is the founder of a company called Ecotricity, and they're the first green energy company in the UK. And that sounds like hippie bullshit. Um, so some of you will be put off, but don't. Because I, as, 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 as you'll know with all my conversations, I don't go in there. I'm not a journalist, so I don't go in there to attack or put anyone down. But I also don't go in there to kiss anyone's ass, if you know what I mean. Um a lot of people, I mean, the first ever episode was with a Russell Brand. And at the time, I felt that was one of the first interviews with him that wasn't either just chastising him or just praising him. We kind of had discussions. There were things that we didn't agree on. There were things that we did we did, did agree on. So I went into this one with, with a similar mindset, ready for there to be a few bits I'm not really down with or don't agree with or don't believe in. But man, it was a fascinating chat. It really open my eyes to a lot of the changes um, in technology 
in recent years, a lot of the huge developments um, and a lot of the options. So yeah, that'll be next Wednesday. So check that out. Um, I'm thinking the Wednesday after that. I'm, I'm just telling you all my plans now. I'm going to try and get Itch from King Blues on. Everyone keeps requesting it. A lot of people know I've known Itch for years. Um, he's a great poet, a great front man. He's a great activist. Um, and I keep meaning to get him on. It's weird sometimes with the people that I know so well, they're the ones that end up not g- g- coming on immediately because... All the other ones, it's like it happens to be if someone's in town for that day or in town for a few days or whatever else. So, yeah, it's kind of um, an odd one there. Um, But, yeah, we're hoping to get that in um, because they've announced just recently that the King Blues are getting back together, which is fantastic news. So, yeah, I'm going to try and sit down with Itch. I'll try and get that in before Christmas. I'll try and get that in before we do the year-end review ones because it feels new and relevant and we'll get that in. But, yeah. That's the plans. This is a long outro, isn't it? A long episode in general now. I should go. Bye.